I'm not pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work at home edition. So I like using my time at home to do interviews. So today I have Harless Snyder and Natalie Kreider to talk all about their brand new podcast and about Magic Story. Hey guys. Hey Mark. Hey Mark, thanks for having us on. So first, just to give a little, so the audience gets to get to know you a little bit. You guys work at Wizards. What do you, what do, you do at Wizards? Oh, also, could you identify yourself so people know who, who's talking? So just like say, say your name and so they know which is which, which of you is which one. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Uh, this is Natalie Kreider, and I am a game producer at Wizards of the Coast. I work on Magic the Gathering on the business team. And hey, y'all. I'm Harless Snyder, and I'm a product marketing manager. I also work on Magic the Gathering. Okay, so we all work on Magic the Gathering. And we are all we fans of Magic Story. So um, let's. I, I'm going to start with what was your introduction to Magic Story? Like, what's the earliest you remember interacting with Magic Story? For me, it was right when I, honest, to be honest, it was right before I started working here. Um, I first went to look for story to figure out what was going on with the entire multiverse that is magic. You know, there's so much to magic. And the first piece that was just really accessible to me was story. And I came in right around, I think, Zendikar. Um, was just coming out. So really like Midnight Hunt and Crimson Bow were my first real moment of being able to dig into the story. And I just fell in love with it. Yeah, I have a similar-ish story. I I got involved with magic shortly before I joined Wizards. And this must have been 2018. And so I think Corset 2019 had just come out. And I saw a card with Tezzeret on it. And I was so intrigued by this character as to why Tezzeret looked that way. And this was like, rewind, this was my very first introduction to magic. This is my very first time seeing a magic card, period. And I was so intrigued that I went down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out all of the lore. And I fell in love with the characters. And I fell in love with all of these planes that I was discovering for the first time. And I have been addicted ever since to know the story of magic. It's just so compelling. So my, my first time reading story, see, I'm a little older than you guys. Um, when you bought the Alpha starter deck, there was a rule book. And in it, Richard Garfield had written a very tiny short story about two wizards fighting each other. Um, and that was, like, that's the first time that, like, there was any, like, Alpha was really interesting in that it hinted at story, but there wasn't much story. And it wasn't until Antiquities and even Antiquities, like, didn't tell the story as much as the flavor texture hinted at this larger Brothers War. Um, so it is fun. And I remember before this began, we were talk I was talking with Harless, and I mentioned that I used to do story, and Harless didn't even know that I did that. So um, the, the Weatherlight yeah, Saga. Yeah, that was cool to find out. Yes. That was so cool to find out. <laughs> uh, Michael Ryan so and I. fascinating. Yeah, Michael Ryan and I uh, did the start of the Weatherlight Saga. So anyway. I, I, I'm a big fan of story. So it's as we talk about story, I'm definitely a big fan. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about what you guys are doing on your podcast. So what what exactly? How are you guys handling the story? What are you What are you doing? So the, the podcast, by the way, it's called the Magic Story Podcast. To be found wherever you find your Wizards podcasts, uh, wherever you find my podcast, you will find their podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So when Harless and I set out to set up the Magic Story podcast, we wanted a podcast that brought story first, that told the plot lines and these amazing fiction stories that you can find on web. And 
we wanted to deliver that street to you all. And we wanted a way for you to be able to explore the setting and get involved with magic for whether you were just starting yesterday or have been playing and been involved with magic for 20 plus years. And we wanted a, a podcast that was centered on the story and you got the little tidbits of lore along the way. But we really focused on what was happening right now and for you to just like have that center point to get caught up if you are if you're getting back into magic for a, for the first time in a while whether you needed context as a like I opened up Dominaria United for the first time and I have no idea who Johnny is I want to find that out and that was and, and we wanted that avenue and we also wanted an avenue for if you just wanted to hear web fiction and you're so invested into the web fiction but you just wanted to hear it be told in a different way and so we are kind of setting out to to do those three things. And that was kind of the vision where we set out with doing the Magic Story podcast. Yeah, I'll add that we just really wanted to make story a little bit more accessible. You know, not everybody has time to sit down and read all the web fiction, um, but it's very easy to sit down and listen to a podcast, as you know, Mark. Um, and so we thought this would be a really fantastic format for people to get caught up and, you know, we spend so much time reading the story, it just felt like a natural next step to recap it for our audiences. So let me ask, the, the Phyrexian story, which is what you guys are doing right now, is tricky in that there's a, like, the, I, I mentioned antiquities earlier in the, this podcast. The Phyrexians showed up back in 1994, so a long time ago, and... Uh, you know, they were the main villains of the Weatherlight Saga. They were, you know, played a big role in, in you know, Scars of Mirrodin and the, the fall of Phyrexia. How do you tell a story with, when there's so much background story to it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge, but so much fun because we'll be reading through the story and there'll be moments where we realize there might be somebody out there who doesn't know what a Phyrexian is. So we actually, Harless and I have to take pauses sometimes during the podcast where we're going through the story and then we're like, all right, we need to pause really quick and explain very briefly what a Phyrexian is. And then we just keep going. And it kind of, it we give these little tidbits of explanation if you need to get caught up, but we let the story give you the extra context around what a Phyrexian does, how it acts, because it's right there in the story with you. So we do that for everything. And it's it's kind of meeting that middle ground between there are 30 years worth of interactions with the Phyrexians that we don't fully dive into, but we do give you just enough context to understand why the Phyrexians are a big deal if you're getting involved with Dominaria for the first time. And what... Do you guys have favorite characters? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially at this point, you know, we feel like we've spent so much time with these characters. Um, for me, I think really with it, it depends on, on which set we're talking about tells you which which uh, favorite character I have at the moment, because with Dominaria United, I was such a Karn fan just from the beginning, just so heroic. And, and I was not a Karn fan. No. I, I struggled with Karn. <laughs> So I you, you listen to the podcast, Harless and I go back and forth on like whether Karn's a good guy or a bad guy. So I'm just curious, are you aware that I created Karn? What? Yes. What? So um so Michael Ryan and I uh, we made the Weatherlight Saga. He's one of the Weatherlight Saga characters. Um yeah. so real quickly, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about the origin of Karn, because I don't get to tell the origin of Karn yeah, all that often. Please. So 
what happened was when Michael and I were telling the story, we were trying to do archetypes. We were trying very much, we were following Joseph Campbell's myth of the epic hero. Uh, and one of the archetypes we were really interested in was called a gentle giant. And what a gentle giant is, is somebody who's very, looks very scary. Usually they're very big, they're very strong, but it, at heart, they're a very sweet person. They're not, they're, once you get to know them, you know, they have the heart of a teddy bear. They're not at all, you know, and... We wanted him, and also, we wanted every color and artifact to have a representative on the crew, and we had done all the colors, but we hadn't done an artifact yet. And so I said, well, why don't we combine the gentle giant with the artifact and make it one and the same? And then once we made Karn, in order to tie him into the story, we made him the keeper of the the legacy, which was in a little hair of doing story here. Um, Gerard was supposed to oversee the legacy. That's kind of his um, his destiny. Uh, and a big part of the story. And Karn w- sort of oversaw the legacy and, and w- was with him. And then, uh, and what part of Karn's backstory is he accidentally killed somebody, uh, not, didn't mean to, and it, it traumatized him. Because he, and his, he's, and he's a very soft soul, you know. And what happened was back then, they, um, Urza put a, a, a thing on him so that his memory only lasted so long, so that it he wouldn't forever be you know, that, that this wouldn't harm him. Uh, but then he forgets things because his memory only goes so far. Um, but when we met him originally, he was still in the throes of of being sad about accidentally killing somebody. So he was a pacifist. And he's like, I will not harm anybody. And the very first Karn card we ever made, in combat, he gets zero power. He's like a 4-4. Four, four, but he gets minus 4, plus 4 if he ever gets in combat. Because he will not kill anybody. Because he, he's oh, a pacifist. Wow. And that's where that came that, from. That sounds so incredible. <laughs> Yeah, that really tracks with who I believe Karn to be. You know, it, I spent we spend so much time with him, and he just like to this day in the story feels so heroic all of the time. He feels he feels like so human. That's one of the things that we remarked about so much was that he is a machine, but he feels so human, and he has to make so many human decisions. And you know, because Urza gave him like human uh, humanish emotions, he yeah. really struggles a lot. Oh, very, very much so. The other big thing about him, and this, this was, this story was done way after I was involved with it, is uh, he's like the formation of Mirrodin, and that like he was the reason. Both he, he both made Mirrodin and accidentally introduced Phyrexia to Mirrodin, and so it weighs heavy on his soul. <laughs> like he felt bad about killing one person. How about wiping out another world? So. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, and I, it feels like that trauma is still, like, resonant in his character to this day, like, even in the story. Yes. I feel like he's he's always, like, trying to make up for something, and he still struggles with, like, his uh, human relationships a little bit because he's that, like, balance of machine and humanity, which I just find so fascinating. I really I really enjoyed Karn the entire season of Dominaria. Um, but Brothers War, my favorite character is Sahili. Okay, so here, uh, it's me telling behind-the-scenes stories. Do you know where Sahili came it. from? Here, here's an interesting oh. story. So originally, when we were doing Kaladesh, the poster, uh, the main, we have what we call the face of the set. And so the face of the set was going to be Chandra, because uh, she's, she's from Kaladesh. But then we realized that the second set was all about rebellion, and I'm like, well, if you're going to have a face of rebellion, you want Chandra. You know, Chandra is totally. rebellion. So we're like, oh, we need a different face. And so we're like, well, we don't really have a good choice. And what we wanted, because it was the the theme of Kaladesh was sort of um, 
a little more upbeat. We had we had a lot of sets that were very sort of downbeat. Like, how about we have an upbeat set that's all about a, a fair and exploration and creativity? And so we wanted something that represented kind of that upbeat sense of creativity. So we made a character specifically. Like Sahili got made because we wanted somebody on the box that represented what Kaladesh was. Uh, and then we came up with this cool idea. We made Sahili, and so like that's where his Sahili came from. Which like we just wanted the embodiment of like creative expression. Sahili is such a fantastic character, and you really get to see her shine. I think in the Brothers War story, she just she kind of turned for me at least. She turned from this character who I knew of to this character that I loved, and I I, I really got to see her become a become a hero and someone really strong um, in in helping. To fairy and all the planeswalkers try and try and solve the mystery of the past and the brothers war. I really enjoyed Sahili too. But for me, I I always have loved Elspeth. I think I see so much of myself in Elspeth, and she has been through. I think what draws me to her is that she's been through so much. There's so much past, complicated past in regards to Elspeth and what she's been through that I just, I relate and my heart goes out to her over how she still remains so good, even in the face of impossible trauma, uh, of what must be impossible trauma for her. Um, and, and she's so introverted and I just love that for, kudos to all the introverts out there. Yeah, El- <laughs> she's so heroic too. Elvis, El- it's the origin of some characters. Uh, Elvis came about, we were doing Shards of Alara and we wanted to, we, we liked the idea of a planeswalker that was a knight that represented kind of the, the, the goodness of a knight, like the, someone who's pledged to, you know, do good and do right by things. Uh, and the character that a we chivalrous thought... chivalrous kind of... Right, with chivalrous. I mean, she's like the embodiment of what you think of as kind of like a white knight, like a, someone who's, yeah, who's in it for the right reasons and is, you know, wants to do best for people. Absolutely, that's Elspeth, yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the element of the character that's very interesting is... That like wherever she goes, like tragedy follows. It's like she all she wants is just live her life and have some peace. But wherever <laughs> she goes, or yeah, and she can't not like the cool thing about her character is she can't not help people. Like she can't yeah. just go. That's not my problem. I'm just not going to get involved. It's like oh, you know, and uh, yeah, she's been through a lot. Her and Karn both have been through a lot. It's a little, talk about uh, characters with lots of trauma. But it's interesting. I mean, I, I, we can't give away any spoilers, but uh, uh, Elspeth does have some cool stuff going on in the March of the Machine story. <laughs> so. Ooh, spoilers. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. So what, okay, so what, so any other characters that you, that you guys really fell in love with? Well, I mean, if we're talking about who we relate to, for me, it's Chandra all the way. Um, not only is am I a redhead, so like, obviously, <laughs> I relate to Chandra, um, but just her fiery spirit and her unwillingness to ever give up. Um, I actually have the, uh, like, a big version of Oath of Chandra on my office wall um, because it has her flavor text. If it means... Uh, if it means that people can live in freedom, yeah, I'll keep watch. And I just love that so much. Like she just is another one of those representations of just someone who can't say no when there's there she's needed. And uh, I just, I really love everything about her character is just so interesting. And also she, you know, she's kind of, she's the one to bring about, a, she like kind of can bring attention to the conflict in this way that is like, we're, we're going to get through this. We're just going to, yeah, the, 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 let me tell you the history of Chandra, because Chandra has a very cool history. Um, so way back when, and this is back in the early days, 
there's a character named Jaya Ballard, which hopefully people know who that is. Um, and Jaya, was, she first showed up in Flavor Tax, and she was a lot of fun because she was this pyromancer that just had a sense of humor. And we, we had a blast sort of, you know, doing writing Flavor Tax for her and stuff. Um, and I think in Time Spiral, we finally got to make a card for her and everything. But when we were making the new Planeswalkers... It's like we, we, we wanted, we loved the idea of a pyromancer with some sort of attitude, you know, and we decided that it wasn't, it wasn't so much we wanted her making jokes as we loved the idea of um, somebody whose main power set is destroying things, but that fundamentally <laughs> she's someone who wanted to help people. And yes. th- there's a nice dichotomy in that, like, what Chandra wants to do more than anything else is help people, but like her power set just destroys things. And for a red character, it's fun to play around with impulse control of, like, you know, yes. like, she lets her emotions get the better of her some of the time, and she has a power set where her getting angry causes problems. Uh, that, yes. That's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, too, am a huge, I'm a huge genre fan. And, um... She's so great. She is fun to write. So, uh, one of the things I do uh, on online is I uh, I do this comic every day. You know, five times a week I do a comic. And there's this little sub-brand I do called Sparks where I took the Funko figures and I do this little sitcom with them, where I, 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 the little word balloons and stuff. And writing comedy for Chandra has been so fun. I mean, <laughs> she is a great, like, her and Jace as a contrast to each other is like comedy gold. It is so great. So. Oh, yeah. Like two exact opposites right there. Yes, yes, one yes. highly logical <laughs> and one incredibly impulsive. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and anyway, not, like, so I imagine fun. if you're Jace. I imagine if you're Jace, it must be so frustrating to have, like, telepathic powers around Chandra because her mind just seems like pure chaos. <laughs> I feel like he would just be so frustrated by, you know, if he were to read her mind. Yeah, the way I always play them for comedy is the fact that each one of them is just, like, the other one drives them insane. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> so... Well, one of the other characters that we talk about a lot in this season uh, in Dominaria and that was you know, so huge was a Johnny. And we kind of mentioned that earlier, but it was so, I have to say, it was just so heartbreaking um, reading through the story of Dominaria and and reading what happens to a Johnny in that story. And I was actually curious, I had a question for you, Rosewater. Yeah. Um, I was actually curious if, um, if it was challenging to, you know, for, like write cards of a, of a Phyrexianized a Johnny. Yeah. So one of the things that happened early on was we knew we were going to Phyrexianize Planeswalkers, right? And we knew we were going to do that before we chose who any of the Planeswalkers were. And there was a lot of discussion, and there was no character more than, than Ajani that just set people off. Oh, yeah, before yeah. I say Ajani, no, no, you can't yeah. do Ajani. And it, it got a, such a strong reaction. I think that's kind of what pushed the creative team to do it, was Ajani is so beloved, you know. Although... Here's yeah. a, really, a really cool backstory on Ajani real quick. So Ajani was part of the Lorwyn Five, the original five characters. And I think when um, Brady Donmuth first made him, they liked the idea of one of the characters wasn't human because, you know, the rest were all human. Um, so we made this, you know, this cat person. And in the early market research, he tested below all the other planeswalkers. He was like the lowest wow. scoring planeswalker. And there, there, there's a debate of should we keep him, but we all liked him. Like, no, no, we should keep him, and we kept him around. And then over time, as people got to know him, we just kept going up and up and up in the, in the like in the market research. So it, it, it was very funny for how off somehow. I mean, I guess he wasn't human. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, 
It's very I funny to look at. I love a kitty planeswalker. <laughs> yeah. We actually, on the podcast, we talk about how, you know, Natalie talks about she has a Johnny and her cat deck and how many people have cat decks um, in Magic. And so uh, we know a lot of people were very sad about their decks that now potentially had a Phyrexianized Johnny coming their I way. Be, I will be perfectly honest in that I have not put Phyrexianized Johnny in my cat deck. I just, <laughs> I, I can't do it. Are there any, Phyrexian, any Phyrexian cats in your cat deck? No, only, <laughs> only, only good kitties in my cat deck. <laughs> do, you have, do you have zombie cats in your cat deck? Um, I don't. It's a it's a white green oh, okay. uh, commander deck, so no zombies. There, no zombies I think there is one. a white zombie, by the way. There's a there's a white cat in Amin Cat that in you can entomb it to make it into a white zombie. <gasps> oh, cute! Oh, white That's zombie. so clever. Well, there, the, there's white in uh, Amin Cat. The zombies are black and white. Sort of the the ones that serve the people are white, and the the wild ones in in out of the sands are black. So, I do think I do think there's a white zombie cat. I believe. Maybe I might make an exception and have one white zombie cat in my cat deck. I will okay, say so, in, regards, in regards... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I will say, like, in regards to cards, one of the cool things about making this podcast and get, becoming, like, so familiar with the story is opening packs now has kind of a new a new rush for me where I, I feel like every time I get to see these, you know, I'll, I'll get a comment that's like a, a card of a character that I know from the story and I'll get so excited about it because it's just so fun to read the story and then get to see the characters come to life on the cards. And that's just been such a joy from starting the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's always a challenge to make sure that the character on the page and the character on the card read the same. The, the trickiest thing for us, I, I mentioned this before for the audience, is we tend to make the cards, if they're brand new characters, before the stories get written. So the cards come first, so it's not that we have to match the story as much as the story has to match the cards because <laughs> the cards predate. Um, the timeline of how we have to do it is we have to finish the cards long before it gets written. So it gets written. I mean, the outline is written ahead of time. So when we make the cards, we know the rough outline of things. And a lot of times we're using characters that already exist. So then we can design to the characters. Um, but when they're brand new, it's a little bit trickier because the stories haven't been written yet. I actually love that because... I think my favorite part, by far and away, my favorite part about Magic Story are the characters themselves, the characters that just seem to pop out at you on the page. And as you're reading these stories, they have personality and quirks and they just seem so real. Like, even though they can cast immensely powerful otherworldly spells, they still seem like they could be your best friend. And I think that is partially attribute to the fact that these do exist as cards and then we're writing a story about them as as they evolve on these cards with these abilities and i think it's a it's like kind of a a, a perfect mashup over how we do it it just makes the characters so vibrant i think because of the way we do it that way okay so my next question is we talked about the car characters you love what are the characters you love to hate who's the character that you most enjoy not liking Ooh. Do you have an answer, Nat? I would. So I mentioned it before where I struggled with Karn in, in Dominaria United. And it's not that I don't like Karn. It's just that I got so frustrated with him through the through reading the story because he was, in, in my opinion, he was being very proud and not telling his friends over what he was doing. And he got himself into trouble with it time and time and again. So I think if I had to choose a character 
who I love to hate. Like if we're going to use that that <laughs> phrase, I think Karn is the perfect example because I I love Karn. I really do. It's not that I hate Karn, but I am so frustrated with him through the story. <laughs> You know, he goes off on his own uh, to go find the Phyrexian threat. He doesn't leave a note for anybody. He then uses, you know, kind of manipulation to tell his friends to trick his friends. He has to like oh, he's Natalie tricking and I, his friends the whole way. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see it. You'll, you'll hear on the podcast like Natalie and I really go back and forth on like me saying this is necessary and her saying this is cruel. And I think we're both right. Um, he went about it in this very logical machine kind of way, but it was for a very good reason. So um, it, it was very, uh, you'll hear us definitely talk about that if you listen to season one of Magic Story Podcast. Okay, Hollis, who do you love to hate? I think, honestly, it's probably like Urza and Mishra both because I didn't get to, I didn't read the original Brothers War, right? Because I came in on Midnight Hunt Crimson Bell. And I didn't want to read it before we did this podcast because I wanted to be fresh and only taking the perspective of what we're talking about right now. The podcast, or sorry, the story, um, we go back into what happened with Urza and Mishra. And it just seems like Urza and Mishra made such cruel decisions over and over and over again. And it's, inter- it's so interesting, you know, when we, at the end of the Brothers War, when we we find out more information about kind of what happened there. But, oh my gosh, it was just such a struggle to watch two adults just cause so much wreckage and destruction and damage. And for me, that was just really hard to, to read through about, you know, over and over again. So have you since read the novel? Are you, do you have any plans to read the novel? I do have plans to read the novel. Um, we are planning to, my plan is to read the novel after we finish uh, this arc on the podcast. So okay. that, again, because I like to have that fresh take, but yeah, I absolutely am interested in reading it. Yeah, it's a, Jeff Grubb wrote it. It's a really good book. It, it, it's it's one of the best magic stories, hands down. It, it really is. I mean, one of the reasons I think The Brothers War has gotten such sort of acclaim as a story it had a lot to do with Jeff and, and the novel, so. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard that. I've heard. Uh, I've heard that it's definitely worth a read. So, what? Okay, so you, I, let's talk a little bit about Frexia All Will Be One, since we you guys talked about Dominator United and you talked about uh, Brothers War. So, what was most exciting to you of the story of Frexia All Will Be One? Oh gosh, it's so action packed. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's just like moment after moment after moment of just hard hitting like some of it's gut punching some of it's gut wrenching some of it is like a super high some of it's a super low and but it's just one thing after the other and it was actually um i try like when we write the podcast we read the story and write the episode and then we read the next story so that we're not like predicting the future and and telling like what's going to happen in the next story and so it was so hard for me not to read ahead um, because the action was so intense and I just wanted to turn the page and I uh, I print them off when I when I read them and like mark them up. And I kept having to like shove my binder into the other room so that I wouldn't read ahead <laughs> because it was just so captivating. Yeah, the tone, like the, the tone difference between the Brothers War and Phyrexia All Will Be One is just, it's, it's so different. And it, 
the Brothers War was just this, the, the way that we described it on the podcast was that it felt like this gritty, gothic fantasy reading through the Brothers War. And then all of a sudden we're in Phyrexia, all will be one. And it it's kind of feels like this cross between like action-packed, like you said, uh, Harless, with like some sci-fi elements because we're fighting against the Phyrexians on New Phyrexia. And it's just... The, the excitement, it, it, is a, it is a page turner. I have also struggled with not reading ahead. I have to <laughs> discipline myself not to read ahead too much um, so that we can so that we can focus on the present moment. But like I we're we're in the heart of we're about to wrap up Phyrexia All Will Be One in season three. And just because it's so vivid in my memory over the fact that we just did this one, we were just in in the in the moment with Frasca and Jace and the that epic end to what is Vraska and Jace. And it just, it was so, I, I think Harless, you said it is like heart wrenching and gut wrenching. And just like, I, there were moments where I was literally speechless and that can't possibly be what happens. That, ca- that can't possibly be, you know, the end of Jace. That can't possibly be the end of Vraska, you know? And, and it was just, it's it feels like such high stakes in in Phyrexia All Will Be One. It's it's so exciting and and I can't wait for for season three to well, come. Out. If you like high stakes, I got a set for you. So uh, <laughs> so you guys don't know you don't know the story of March of the Machine, right? You haven't read it yet. That's correct. I haven't read it yet. Oh it's wow! Okay, it's like well, it's uh, publishing right now, and we are so we're about to start recording those. But yeah, in order, like I said, like in order to keep it, you know. Up about that episode, we don't read ahead, which is so hard. It's so hard, especially um, oh. I'm staying off the internet right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh... no spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the funny thing for me is we we know the the high end. We don't know all the details of the story, but we know the high end part of the story because we have to make the set. Especially this is what we call an event set, so like it's built around the story. So I, I'm much more familiar with exactly the at least the beats of the story than anything else. So. You guys are in for quite a treat. Uh, if you like high stakes, so <laughs> big things to happen, it doesn't get much bigger than March of the Machine. So, um, but anyway, I'm guys, uh, I realize I'm about to get to my desk here, so we're almost out of time. So I, I just two things. One, I want to uh, thank you guys both for being here. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for letting us be on your be on your podcast, Mark. It's an honor to be here. And number two, I want to remind our audience the Magic Story Podcast. Uh, I believe wherever my podcast is, they are because the same people put it out. So um, wherever you find uh, Drive to Work, you should be able to find the Magic Story podcast and and give it a listen. And uh, it is fun to sort of dive in deep on the story. So thanks, guys. And I hope people can come and listen to you and hear all, all, you, all you guys talking about the story. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, but, everyone. But to everybody else, I'm now at my desk. So we all know what that means. Means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you all next time. And uh, thanks to Harless and Natalie. Bye-bye, everyone.